Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And today and tomorrow, I want to share with you traits of a biblical church. Traits of a biblical church. And you know, the church is actually the term ecclesia. And it means that you're a called out group of people, called out of the world, into the church, with a specific purpose. Well, before we get too far into the broadcast, you know, some things really fascinate me. And and I got to be honest with you, some things don't take a whole lot to fascinate me. But when the president of the United States travels by car, uh, they have this presidential motorcade, and it's both the safest and the riskiest convoy on the planet. And as you look at, as they move the president, this globe-trotting fleet of vehicles is basically rolling and it's called the Armored White House on Wheels. And it's complete with its own response force. It has its own communications office. There is a medical facility on board. All these vehicles are moving, and these are heavy transporters that are moving, and every step of the trip is planned with precision. You know, the presidential motorcade consists of a wide variety of vehicles. And generally, the presidential motorcade is made up with several of these components. First of all, there's the root car, and then there's a pilot car, and the pilot car travels ahead of the motorcade, and it's checking to make sure that everything's safe. And because there's two identical cars, uh, you're never exactly sure which car the president is in. And then they have these vehicles called sweepers, and they're consisting of motorcycles and patrol cars, and, and they're clearing the way, they're clearing the path. And then there's the actual presidential limousine, uh, which is a very heavy Cadillac. And it's extremely survivable armored car. And get this, they call it the Beast. And it's outfitted with top-level ballistic armoring. Uh, It has night vision, infrared driving systems. It has a sealed cabin with an independent air supply that is capable, get this, capable of enduring a nuclear, biological, chemical attack, and it even has a supply of the president's blood on board. All this is an indication of the -the state-of-the-art communication systems. But then I told you there's an identical limousine with this identical limousine accompanying it, and then sometimes there's more than one identical limousine, depending on where they are. And then there's all these other additional vehicles that are following this motorcade, and their security detail is phenomenal. And they have these SUVs that are filled with heavily armored agents. There's actually an electronic countermeasure vehicle so that there's a threat that is detected. They can make smoke blow out of the vehicles. They can jam up signals, and they can disrupt an attack. And it's just amazing. There's actually one van that is the press van that does nothing but report on the travel of the president. There's an ambulance that is following just in case there's an accident or an attack. And it's just unbelievable. All this technology that goes into protecting the president. Well, it also has a very large price tag. It's estimated that the White House will spend $350 million a year on the president's transportation. Just one trip will cost $2,614 every single minute that the president is being transported. Amazing effort is put into every detail to ensure the safety and the protection of the president. 
Even traffic patterns are planned, with escape routes, with alternate roads being left open as an option. They close down segments of highways, segments of roads, all to protect the president. No expense is spared. Now, when God decided to start the church, and decided to provide a way for our salvation, for all who call upon the name of the Lord, He sent His one and only Son. God planned out every minute detail to give His one and only Son to die on that cross. It's the most amazing and most sacrificial gift that has ever been given to humanity. And yet, it's the most underappreciated gift given. What made it even more incredible is that it's the gift that keeps on giving. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for us, but he takes care of all of our needs. When we look at the church, we're told in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, Jesus died for the church. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. You see, the church's great revival that took place way back 2,000 years ago occurred when 3,000 Jews came to Christ on the day of Pentecost. They have discovered and they think they know the exact day that that happened, May 24th, 33. Now, that's awesome when you think about it. The foretaste of what happened that was going to change history. You know, by the year 300, approximately 14 million people called themselves Christian. And by 500, that number hit nearly 40 million. Uh, Since the early 1700s, God has brought a number of notable revivals, and we are overdue for a revival. For almost 2,000 years of history, church history, we have seen revival after revival after revival. As we look at American history, we look at our 250 plus years as a nation, and we discover that every 50 to 60 years, there was a revival, except for the time that we're living in right now. I want you to know, the church is more vital now than ever before. When you see the increase of evil, and you see what is happening in our world today, I am dumbfounded as to why we haven't seen a revival in my lifetime. Now, I don't give up praying for one, but I want you to know, even if we don't experience a revival in my lifetime, The church is still alive. The church is still well. The church is still carrying out its mission. The sad part about not having revival that leads to a spiritual awakening is that our world gets more filled with evil. You see how history works is that the world gets filled with evil, and then something happens to to thwart that evil. It's called the revival. Uh, Sometimes we see great revivals taking place like after a war. The last major revival that we had as a nation was following World War II. Uh, There was a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. We saw people coming to Christ in a way that they had never come to Christ in American history. 
Uh, that's why we call the World War II generation the greatest generation, because they were recipients of not only going through this war successfully, but after that war, revival took place. I'm going back to the 40s and the 50s. You remember? Everybody went to church. It was a part of our life. You didn't say, well, I'm not going to go to church. It was part of your everyday life. Like you get up and go to work, you go to school, and then on Sunday you go to church. It was part of life. But over the last 60 to 70 years, we have seen that change. But I want you to know that has not diminished the power of the church. Let me give you some practical reasons before we get into the Word of God about what a biblical church looks like. Here's some practical reasons. You know, in a church, you have this opportunity to connect with really meaningful relationships with people who really care about you. You know, you may go to work and you may work a job 30, 40, 50 years, and then you retire. You ever notice if you have left a job, how you lose connection with people? Uh, they work, you work with them for hours, 40, 50 hours a week, but yet when you leave that environment, you lose that connection. Well, in a church, you have meaningful relationships with people who really care about you. You know, the church is a place that gives you words and teachings and can comfort you with the answers that are found in God's Word. Uh, the church is a place of a safe haven. You know, I, I was thinking about doing this. Now, I haven't done it, but I was thinking about putting a big sign before you enter into the sanctuary of our church that would say, leave your drama at home, right? Because when you come into the worship center, it ought to be a safe haven, a place to gather and not worry about your petty little problems, but spend some time worshiping the Lord. You know, the church is a place that will help you to learn to forgive and learn to love and learn to let go of pain, learn to let go of guilt. A church is a place that will give you confidence where you are built up in the, in the Spirit of God. The church is a place that can restore your faith in the darkest of days. I'll never forget the Sunday after 9-11. The church was packed for several Sundays right after that incident because people needed to hope in their darkest days. The church is where you can get that hopeless feeling eradicated. Uh, the church is a place where you can be held accountable, where you can grow more like Christ. You know, you come to church and will oftentimes give you a new perspective. I know there's been many times where I, I've been down and discouraged. And I go to church because I'm in the habit of going to church. And, and all of a sudden, my spirits are lifted because I get a new perspective. You know, when you're in the middle of a trial, when you're in the middle of a lot of, uh, of difficulty, oftentimes that's all you can see. But then you go to church and you gather with God's people and and you discover, hey, other people have made it through this tragedy that I'm facing. I think I can make it too. You know, the church is a place where you, you will receive comfort every step of the journey. You receive comfort when your baby, the church, dedicates you. And then you grow in your faith and you receive the gift of salvation. And the church helps you to disciple you and to grow in your faith. And, and then as you get older, you're, you, you follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And, and the church celebrates with you at that occasion as you're making your profession of your faith. And, and then one day you might get married and, and the church is where you have your wedding ceremony. And then one day you, you're blessed with children and, and the church dedicates your children to the Lord. And, and then one day uh, you may get to that point where you've finished your journey. 
and the church is there to comfort you when you say so long to loved ones. You see, the church provides comfort every step of the journey. You know, the church can show you just how beautiful life can be. But some people may be asking, does church attendance accomplish anything good for society? You know, they did a recent study, and this was a Duke University study, and and it shows that there are benefits to attending church. This study shows that when there's a, a rainy Sunday, that fewer people go to church. When fewer people go to church, more people commit three types of crimes. This is the Duke University study. When church attendance goes out on one Sunday, they discover on that Sunday, there's an increase in buying of drugs. There's an increase in committing forgery, stealing credit cards and forgery. And there's also an increase in embezzling money. That was based on the correlation between church attendance and crime data collected from 1,300 U.S. counties. The research found that an hour of Sunday morning rain reduces church attendance by 17%. Laying historical records of precipitation on Sundays between 9 and 11, next to year-over crime reports, the study found that more rainy Sundays regularly resulted in more drug-related and white-collar crimes. According to this paper, sinning in the rain is what we do. The relationship and the correlation between church attendance or the, or the lack of church attendance and the increase of crime. Well, let's talk about some biblical traits of the church. Number one, a biblical trait of a church is that it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, and I want to read to you Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly, a loud, like, blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse number four, all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues or or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So we see a vital component of the church is that it is filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is called the indwelling or the sealing or the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is actually an answer to a prayer that Jesus gave in John 14. He says, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, and he'll be with you forever. Now, Jesus is praying that when the church starts, when he ascends up to heaven, and the church is established on the day of Pentecost, as Jesus goes up, then the, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down, and he fills them, fills all of the believers with that spirit of awe, and they began to speak in other languages. In Romans chapter 8, it says that we are not in the flesh, or not living in the flesh, 
but we're living in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have that Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So a trait of the biblical church is that it's, it's filled with that power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a gathering of the saints. It's a gathering of the Spirit-filled saints. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to Peter, you know, Peter, your name means rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the power of hell shall not conquer it. So Jesus uses two words there. One is little rock, and the other is big rock. And I say unto you, Peter, which means little stone, little rock, upon this rock, big stone, Jesus Christ, I will build my church, and the power of hell shall not conquer it. Now, as I think about this, the power of the church, the pastor is the cheerleader who is leading that congregation. Dr. Erwin Lutzer uh, used to teach a course at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and teaching this course was teaching pastors how to preach. And one of the things he would do is he would take them to a local cemetery so they could preach in the cemetery. He says, I would take them to a little cemetery in Deerfield, Illinois, and have them all gather around a certain gravestone. I would point out the name on that stone, and then I would tell one of the students, preach the gospel to Mr. Smith here. So they look at me like I'm nuts. And so I say, preach to Mr. Smith with enthusiasm. Sir, Jesus died for your sins, and you must put your faith in him. Then I look at the students and tell them, there is no difference than preaching the gospel to unsaved people. The Bible says that they are dead in their sins. You can preach your heart out, but nothing will happen unless God does a miracle and gives them life to listen. Oh, I want you to know, the church is alive because the Spirit of God takes us who are dead in our trespasses and our sins, and He breathes in us the breath of life, that Spirit of God, and we become living beings. So the church is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we see, or the second trait of a, of a biblical church, is that this church is all-inclusive. All truly saved sinners are part of the church. It's available to all. Let's get back to our text. Acts chapter 2, uh, we see that the church was a multi-ethic church. And Acts chapter 2, 11 says, Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, they were declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. We see here that it wasn't just a Jew thing. It wasn't just a Gentile thing. They had the Arabs there. They had the Cretans there. They were all receiving the gift of salvation. Not only is it a multi-ethnic church, but it's also a multi-generation church. We see that in the last days, Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18, that God was going to pour out His Spirit on all people your sons and your daughters and your young men. They're going to see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams, even on my servants. And we see not only is it multi-generational, 
but it also includes both men and women. Now, this was earth-shaking, because prior to this time, those who were followers of Judaism, it was predominantly a male-dominated faith. But now, we learn that this faith is to be all-inclusive, pouring out the Spirit of God on those people, men, women, all different nationalities, all different ages. You see, the unifying fact was not their gender, not their ethnicity, not even their age. The unifying fact was Jesus himself. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Christ is the head of the body, made up of his people, that is his church, which he began, and he is the leader. So the church, a biblical church, is filled with believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, are filled with all types of people that are truly saved. We see the third thing about a trait of a biblical church is that it is led by leaders, but it's really driven by volunteers. And we look at Acts chapter 2, verse number 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised up his voice to the crowd, and he said, Fellow Jews, and all who live here in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Here we see that Peter is taking our leadership role in this church in Jerusalem. And as he gets up there in this position, he says, I want you to listen carefully to what I say. He's going to expound upon the Word of God. And as he's giving the Word of God, it is received by the congregation. And the congregation is carrying out the work of the church, carrying out the work of the ministry. Paul takes this to the next level by saying that there's gifts that are given to the church. In Ephesians 4.11, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Some are apostles, those are the leaders within the church. Some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastors, some are teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work, to build up the church, to build up the body of Christ. You know, I used to think that my job as a pastor was to build up everybody else. My job is to first build up myself, and then the overflow of that is that I can build up the church, the body of Christ. But if I am not built up, I can't build somebody else up. I want to drive home the point that God's church always has its leader. Listen, God's work done God's way is never going to lack God's resources, and God always has somebody that is raising up for the occasion. This is not only found in the church, but this is found throughout history. For example, you go way back to the book of Genesis. When the world got so bad that God had to destroy the world by a flood, what did he do? He looked around and he says, I need somebody to warn everybody. I need somebody to lead during this time. And he calls up Noah. He says, now, Noah, you're my man. So what did Noah do? As he was building that ark for 120 years, not only did he build the ark, but he preached the gospel. It was a simple message. Turn from your sin because the world's about to be destroyed by a great flood. They had never seen rain. They had never seen a flood. They had no idea what Noah was talking about, but they were convicted 
of their sin, even though they didn't respond. They began to make fun of Noah. But then when that flood did come, when that rain began to come, all of a sudden they wanted to get in that ark, but it was too late. Every time God does something, he always has his people in line, his leaders in line. Well, maybe you're listening to me today and you're looking at your life and you say, man, I haven't been connected the way that I should be connected. I hope that this message will inspire you. Listen, there's a church somewhere that needs you, that needs your wisdom, that needs your leadership, that needs your guidance. Don't go in there with a, I'm a know-it-all type, but realize that God wants to take your gifts and he wants to use you. So why don't you find a good church where you can start serving in and you can start being involved in the leadership of that church. That church needs you and you need that church. If you don't have a place to worship, why don't you come to Hickory Ridge Community Church? This Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045, we'd love to have you come worship with us. Well, thank you so much for listening today. Join me tomorrow as we have part two of Traits of a Biblical Church. If you need any help, if I can pray for you, please call me at 252-267-2365. If it's easier for you to text me, shoot me a text and I'll get back to you just as quick as I can. 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.